Hello and welcome back to Kelly to Cuse. Another week, another great slate of college basketball games to talk about. I'm your host, Anthony Scott. Along with me, as always, Andrew Poppy Carey and Lucas Silverman. We'll start with Poppy tonight because your other sports teams, besides the Syracuse basketball team, which we'll get into in a minute, the L.A. Chargers made a big move. No more Anthony Lynn. You lose Gase, I lose Anthony Lynn. It's a happy podcast. It's a happy podcast. Smiles all around. Lucas, down in New York City, representing the California side of the podcast. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Staying healthy. Happy New Year to you guys. I think this is our, you know, second podcast of the new year, and last time's was great. And, you know, feeling healthy, feeling good. The Warriors are breaking my heart. Other than that, feeling great. Hey, I, I can't say too much. I, I called you out when you took the Warriors and pick them last week, and they, 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 they did their business. Stuff got hot. You said don't let them get hot. I said don't let them get hot. But I think it's more of a trend of what you're seeing in these little minor, like, baseball series games when they play these, two, these teams back-to-back. Uh, the first game usually, it usually is split. And so, especially in that pick, I just felt – that the Warriors played him tough, and the and the Portland Trailblazers shot like sixty percent from three that first game. So by the time that second game, they were going to cool off, and the sixty-two definitely helped. I was going to say, is that cool? The the Twitter feed, him scoring sixty-two. I know the mentions were blowing up. <laughs> Y'all really slandered Curry to having his career high in games. Y'all really did that to him. <laughs> and then another thing, I got to pay. I got to pay my condolences. Is me also bashing your Sixers pick? They're seven and one, Lucas. You said they're going to the finals. What's going on? They're cooking right now. I mean, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid obviously are the two best players on the team. They know their role. Ben Simmons could easily average a triple-double on this team. He's a first-team all-defensive type of player. And I said this earlier, adding in a Danny Green and a Seth Curry to spread the floor for those two to allow them to work their magic has just been working out great and also underestimated the transition that Doc Rivers would have on the team. He's really made them a full, holistic team. He understands he's a little bit a mature man in the locker room instead of – you know, um, Brett Brown, I think, uh, that was a little more sporadic. The team's looking good. Obviously, it's early on in the season. The Knicks are 5-3, and three, so let's, Your picks let's are hot. That's all I got to say. Your picks are just hot right now. You got the best record in our, in our pick Hey, we got to keep it rolling. We got to <laughs> keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. We'll be talking about college basketball, but first, let me just catch you up. We are moved over to the Challenge Sports. If you haven't heard by now, you're late to the party. We're over on the challenge-sports.com. You can find our podcast there as well as Spotify and, App and uh, Apple Podcasts. But head over to Challenge Sports. Lots more articles on a bunch of different topics. Some merchandise over there as well. They got it all. You ready to get into some college basketball? Oh, man, I've been ready. All right. First order of business, we will have an NCAA tournament. Poppy, I know last year not having one, I was the most devastated man I've ever been in March when – they told me that I just watched the whole season of college basketball and there wasn't going to be this huge tournament at the end of the season. But we're back. We're back. It was devastating, to say the least. I mean, you know, Cuse was making a nice run there at the end of the season. They beat North Carolina in the ACC tournament. We're watching, you know, it, it was just getting to the meat of the season, the best part of the season, conference championships. You know, the Big East is playing a conference game in their conference championship and they just end it midway through halftime. It's crazy stuff, but it's good. To, it's, it's, you know, glad to have it back. And the NCAA announced that they will be playing their March Madness this season in the state of Indiana, kind of all around with it ending in Indianapolis. Uh, they're playing games in Lucas Oil Stadium where the Colts play. There'll be two courts, but only one game at a time. 
Banker's Life where the Pacers play. You got Hinkle Fieldhouse where Butler plays. And then games will be played at Purdue and Indiana as well. So this is really exciting. I think it was probably the right choice by the NCAA. And, you know, probably confirms that we will get a March Madness. Definitely. I am excited. I'm hoping it is a 68-team field. I think that's what they're planning. Looks like the schedule's all laid out the same. Selection Sunday scheduled for March 14th. Mark the calendars, and then the first round uh, will be played at the end of that week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the greatest week in college basketball, probably in all of sports. Lucas, we saw the bubble work with the NBA. I think this is the only, the only move that they had because if you have one or two cancellations for COVID, the tournament's shot. Yeah, when you want to think about it versus uh, a different state, Indiana, the capital of basketball, some would say, uh, is a great place to have it. They have a lot of colleges around there. They obviously have two big arenas, and usually the Final Four is hosted in Indianapolis. So it just makes all-around sense to me. I'm glad that they're doing it. I think it's the safest move. It's going to be interesting to see how the logistics are going to run. Uh, Are they going to be monitored 24-7? Are they going to get uh, tested all the time? What happens if there is a mistake? And how are they going to handle that? And I just think they're going to have to roll with the punches as they go along. I will say uh, they're going to have to quarantine for two weeks or however long of time is needed for for testing and making sure that they're all in the right locations. So for a team uh, coming from like California or Washington or Florida or New York, they're all going to have to do that eventually. Is there enough time between the conference tournaments and also bubble busters uh, in order for that to happen? And, you know, I'm, I'm excited that they're doing it, though, but there's still a lot of questions that loom. Definitely. A lot of questions to be answered. I'm happy that they at least have a plan. At least they took some time to prepare. I know they got it in the middle of the season, but at least now we know where the games are going to be played. We have some hope for a tournament. But there's also games still being canceled all over, all over NCAA basketball and really new developments happening. Boston University, they're now playing games with masks. We've always seen the masks on the sidelines, but now they have to wear masks because of a university policy. Whenever in close contact with someone else, it includes athletes. If they're representing the university and they're in close contact with someone else, they have to wear masks. Pretty crazy when I first saw it. Um, I don't know if it's – I think it's going to definitely prevent some exposure, but at the same time, you're already rubbing up against everybody. I don't know how effective it will be. Uh, masks are definitely helpful in everyday life, but I don't know in a basketball court if it's going to do much. It's just crazy to see it actually happen. This just comes down to a strict PR move. As a BU school, great communication school, not nearly as good as Ithaca. Look at the numbers. No. We all get it. Um, Look at the Princeton just, review. They'll, they'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. Look at the reviews. This is a PR move. It, it doesn't matter what they want to do. If they want to have the mask on the players, they can have the mask on the players. If they don't want it, they don't have it they're touching each other no matter what. So even if they're not breathing on each other, there's some also health risks. I've worn an N95 mask. I've worn different masks. They are suffocating. And especially in high uh, pressurized situations, it could be maybe a health risk for some of these players as they're playing with the masks on. It just seems like a little bit too extra. This is just another reason just to hate what's going on right now. It's like you have all these different parties being like, we're going to do masks. We're not going to do masks. Uh, And, you know, BU, where are you going? Where are you going? Like, <laughs> yeah. are you not trusting your students to be doing the right things? Yeah, probably. And that makes sense. I wouldn't trust college students either. It's also a matter of they're touching each other. What's the point? Yeah, I mean, the way I look at it is if you're going to institute this rule, what's the point of even playing? I feel like you're just sending a statement that this is too dangerous to even be out there playing. Uh, your take, Poppy. 
I don't think there's really a reason to do it, especially when you consider the fact that basketball is a game of like running and jumping around. So the mask naturally is going to be falling down your face as you're doing it. When you saw them uh, playing the game, you know, I saw one highlight of a kid making an and one layup where he goes up and comes down. And by the time he's down, the mask is down around his chin. He's wearing the chin diaper as South Park told us everybody <laughs> got accustomed to in uh, their, their pandemic special. But, um, you know, I just think that, it probably should have happened sooner, the NCAA tournament bubble. Uh, all personnel are going to have to have seven consecutive negative COVID tests in order to attend the NCAA tournament, which that's safe, I would think. <laughs> uh, that seems like a lot of COVID tests in a row to test negative. And, you know, BU, they can do that. You know, they, if I believe the opponents have to wear them if they come to their arena, correct? Yeah, they do. Which it's pretty great. Yeah, if BC goes and travels, it's just uh, – or BU, excuse me. If BU just goes and travels, it's just up to them. But if a team comes to uh, Boston, they have to wear the masks. So yeah. it would be interesting to see how that plays out. And um, testing, I think, is the big thing. I think you should test the – or trust the testing system. And if you test negative, I mean, go out there and play if that's the decision that your school makes and you think that you should be playing college basketball at this time. Because that's a whole nother – Oh no, other argument because we canceled all of this when the cases weren't really as high across America as they are now, and now we're saying let's keep playing. So it's just interesting across the board. Um, as a fan, I like that we're back, but definitely just interesting to see the different, I would say, perspectives on how they're treating the virus. Which team is going to mess it up the most if we had to put our money on a team that's going to blow it? Who's going to be that first team to be like, all right, all of our players tested positive? It's got to be ASU if they make it, Arizona State. Arizona State's I, I, a good one. I would say Kentucky, but I don't think they're going to make it. Oh, <laughs> I know. Of all my hot picks, that's my coldest one. Um, I, I feel like it has to be an Indiana school, like a Purdue, a Butler in Indiana, because they're all right there to begin with. Their students are on, probably going to be on campus or, you know, rolling back into campus, something along those lines. I just think that uh, the proximity of that could be an issue. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. And, you know, one team that might be making it is your guys' very own Syracuse Orange. However, yesterday, after two weeks off, obviously a long layover, Syracuse lost to Pitt 63-60. to 60. Uh, They blew an 18-point lead. They had an 18-point lead in, at least in the first half. I wasn't sure what that halftime score was. Uh, P- Pittsburgh was also without their top scorer, Justin Champagne, out due to COVID concerns. It was a rough watch at the end of the game. It was tough to see. You could, I couldn't really believe my eyes what was going on. But my first question is this to Pop. If I was to make a pie chart, delegating the blame for that last play when you guys were down one with 5.4 seconds left, when Dolage kind of just threw the ball out there and Pittsburgh recovered and obviously got fouled to end the game. If you were to make a pie chart, how would you delegate the, uh, the blame for that, for that possession? There's, there's a, few, a few different guys who could certainly get the blame. Uh, I don't think that Merrick Dolage really deserves the blame. Somebody's got to get open. That's really the bottom line. The four guys out there, somebody's got to get open. I don't care who the hell it is. Somebody just <laughs> get like, open. I felt like it was 10 seconds. I felt like Merrick had the ball for yeah. 10 seconds. It's one of those crazy – I was thought they were going to call it, and they ended up not. But who were the four players you were thinking of that uh, – and additionally, you know, obviously the yeah. point guards should be getting open. But I mean, I think you've got to put, you know – Maybe 25% Alan Griffin, 25 Joe Girard, 20, 25 Buddy Beheim, and 25 the head coach is dad, Jim Beheim. Not the greatest play, 
Certainly not innovative. It was a back screen for Quincy Garrier for a layup. That was the I only- love a good elevator screen to the yeah, rags. Exactly. That was it. That was the innovation there. The Hall of Famer drew one up, and uh, that's what we got from it. Yeah. It All right. So you, you got Merrick off the hook. Hey, Scott, what do you think about the whole what do you what would you delegate the uh, pie chart for? I, I think Pop, that was a pretty good delegation. I think a little more blame has to go on the head coach. Give me more than one option. Uh, make sure you have a backup plan. It seemed like it was you know they watched the first option, then everybody stood around like, oh wait. Now someone else has to get open. Now what do we do? Joe Girard, he looked like he was just kind of staring at it. Leak, leak out to the backcourt. Nobody ran into the backcourt where you can throw the ball safely back to your basket, at least get it in. I know it's only five seconds. It's not ideal. but Still enough get to get a shot off. That step one is get the ball in. Yeah. So I put more of the blame on Jim Beheim, but also all of the guards as well deserve equal a lot of blame, uh, equal mm-hmm. amount of blame. It's always tough because the inbounder always gets the blame for it. But I think Merrick does deserve a little bit of blame just from the Maybe sense just that throw it in the backcourt and hope somebody goes get it, gets it, I guess. No, I'm coming from the perspective that you eat it. You take the five-second call. At least you can serve a little bit of clock that you have left because they have to take it from the full court regardless of the matter. And at least with that, with an extra three seconds to bring up the ball and maybe get a good shot off, I think that could have been beneficial for them. But regardless, you know, Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim could not get open. Additionally, they combined to shoot 6 of 23 from the floor, 4 of 18 from 3. What's going on with these two right now? I, we were talking about it offline that shooters shoot out of these slumps. But if it's going to happen, it has to happen pretty quickly. They've been pretty terrible all season. A. Scott, how are you feeling right now about your backcourt? Uh, I'm not feeling great at all. I like Kadari Richmond a lot more. He's still not getting the minutes. Joe Girard had, I think, four or five turnovers in that uh, Pittsburgh game. Kadari Richmond only had one. It wasn't his best scoring night. But even if Kadari Richmond's not scoring and Joe Girard's not scoring, at least Kadari offers you a little more uh, all other facets of the game. He's longer for the zone on defense. He can drive to the hoop, at least cause defenses to d- collapse on him more. Um, Joe Girard's not a threat unless he's behind the three-point line. And, Poppy, you said it right last night. In Beheim's offense – the guards are always told they're isolating. They have to create for themselves. Beheim and Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard, they're better players when they catch and shoot. And for guards in Syracuse offenses, it's really not their role besides Andy Routens. And when you, you can't have Kadari Richmond out there with Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim. Like Kadari Richmond could be the facilitator maybe, but they're not going to run a lineup with those three guys, I feel like. Yeah, well, first of all, Alan Griffin should probably be in every lineup. So if they're playing those three guards on top of it, that's where it becomes kind of shaky, you know. Uh, and Gu- Garrier, for that matter, too. Those are the two. Garrier and Griffin are the two best players on the team. That's the bottom line. Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim, you mentioned it, Lucas. The old, the old saying is shooters shoot out of their slumps eventually. Numbers uh, – average out but that isn't happening frankly and we can't just sit here and lose blow 18 point leads at home to Pittsburgh I don't see how you can just stomach that one so with that being said uh, shooting a combined 28.8 percent from three both of them on the season combined on 97 attempts something has to change Kadari Richmond has to play more I'd like to see even some Alan Griffin at guard you know he's 6'5 he can handle the ball a little bit it's just the current the current situation in rotation is not working. You need to give Kadari minutes down the stretch if you need defensive stops. They should be subbing offense defense with one of those guys. And he's not doing any of that. So to me, it's just like utter incompetence on the sideline. This isn't how you're supposed to coach a basketball team. That's just how I look at it. I don't know what else to say. I'm just pretty sick of uh, the philosophies. Yeah, the philosophy is tough. We've already discussed it. You know, he plays – 
seven and a half players a game. And when a guy like Gary gets in foul trouble, You're it really puts you, it puts them in a yeah. hole. I mean, we have these upcoming games, Georgetown and Clemson this week. How important are these two games for Qs? Do they have to sweep if they want a running shot at this ACC crown or at least getting them a chance to make the tournament? Uh, Georgetown, not amazing. Uh, as well as Clemson, a really hot team right now. Uh, I'm not sure if they're – I think they're at Georgetown and then home for Clemson. What do you guys think about these upcoming weeks? I don't know if I'm right about that, but what do you think about these next two games this week? Um, do they need to win both of them? Hey, Scott, we'll, we'll, sh- we'll send it over to you. Yeah, Cuse is going to be home for both of these games, and they don't need to win both of them. Um, obviously, it's a long season, and Cuse – even Quincy Garrier said it. He was kind of struggling from conditioning, still getting back from the two weeks off, still getting back in the rhythm. Um, they don't need to win both, but they definitely have to win one. I don't think they're going to beat Clemson. I think that's a matchup nightmare. Amir Sims, he's big down low. If we don't have Sadibe for that, I think it's over. Uh, Merrick Dolce has no chance against him, frankly. And Georgetown, I guess that's a must win. Then. If, if you got to win one of the two. So I would say Georgetown's a must win. Maybe get some momentum after a rivalry, and then you hope to upset Clemson. Yeah, Georgetown's a bad team. It's a must-win. That's all there is to it. You can't keep losing to bad teams, uh, especially with the net ratings and the quad one wins, the quad two wins. You don't want those terrible losses on your resume heading into March. Um, but, you know, the the worst part about this is, is if the ACC was at its high peak level with great teams all around, the deepest the conference has ever been, I truly would – you know, I'd be following Syracuse, but it'd be I would accept the fact that they're not going anywhere this year. The conference sucks, though. So they could come out and have a good shooting night against, you know, Clemson in that game, for instance, who might be the best team in the conference playing that way right now. And they're going to upset the best team in the conference, and suddenly they're drawing me back in with a great win. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just saying I don't think that the conference is very good. Yeah, yeah, as, you men- yeah as you mentioned, you know, not having teams on the not having te- uh, fans at these games is like a huge deal you know it would be if that yeah. if that uh, if the carry dome was packed with people uh i think it would have been a different outcome you could say the same thing about fog allen fieldhouse you could say the same thing about uh you know uh at duke and unc but yes i think that the acc is definitely down and i i don't want to make excuses for them but definitely the home crowds is definitely a factor in that um in that sense you mentioned that obviously the ACC is down a little bit, doing a quick check-in, moving away from the Syracuse Orange. We'll see how they play this weekend. Uh, but, this, but this week's top 25, no big changes except for one. Texas jumps all the way to number four after beating the absolute shit out of Kansas at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Again, we mentioned last podcast, their worst home loss ever at Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Um, and A. Scott, there's uh, not many teams that are undefeated. There are many teams that haven't even won a game this season. And so right now uh, we're instituting a top 25 counter for the undefeated teams left. And so, and at the top of that list, Gonzaga and Baylor, they were supposed to play each other earlier in the season. They ended up getting that canceled. Uh, are these the two best teams in the conference do you, or two best teams in the country? Or do you believe that there's another undefeated team out there that can make some noise? I mean, we're about to talk about Michigan here in a little bit. They're definitely a surprise team. I didn't see them coming up, uh, coming out of the gates like this. They're 9-0, 10-0 now, I believe, in the Big Ten. And Gonzaga, Baylor, though, they've been blowing out everybody. They're a master class on offense and defense. Baylor, Gonzaga are the clear-cut favorite. You can say what it is, chalk. Yeah, the number one seed usually flips around once or twice, but I think both these teams, Gonzaga and Baylor. Baylor has the toughest schedule left, obviously, in the Big 12. 
But I don't, I don't see Baylor losing more than two games. And Gonzaga, obviously, they're going to run the table. Yeah, Pop, do you feel that Gonzaga is pretty much a, a lock to be undefeated? Or would you put your money more on Baylor? Who would you put your money on to lose first of these two teams? I mean, the easy answer is Gonzaga. But, you know, maybe it's just a matter of being bored and they just drop one. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about the, the top 25 currently right now? You mentioned already the ACC down a little bit, but your overall feelings on the structure so far. Yeah, obviously, I think Gonzaga's probably has the better chance to go undefeated in the conference they play in. As we record this Thursday night, they're getting ready to play BYU when they were originally supposed to play Santa Clara tonight, excuse me. Uh, So I think, you know, who knows? That's kind of screwy, and you never know what could happen in that situation. A decent BYU team who's been playing better, as we we discovered last night, Anthony. But um, that being said, what kind of jumps out to me is some of the other smaller schools in the top 25. I mean, I guess I'm going to say Villanova is a smaller school. I know they're a great basketball program, but you got them, you got Houston, you got Gonzaga, you know, some Creighton's in the top 10. There's some lower tier, you know, names, I guess, in terms of power conferences that are in the top 10 this year. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if some of those teams, you know, what if we get like two of those teams in the final four non-powerhouses? That's pretty, that's interesting. And that kind of grabs my attention. Yeah, this week, we're going to be focusing on the ACC. And I think we're seeing a lot of ACC bias right now in this top 25. You check out the bottom. I mean, Virginia Tech, yeah, they should be up there. They're 8-1, 19. But then Clemson also 8-1. But then after that, Duke 3-2, and two, Virginia 5-2, and two, Florida State 5-2. And, and they're still just hanging in the top 25 all around the 21 mark, 25 mark. So We'll see a couple more losses from the ACC schools, and we might only have three, four teams ranked in the top 25. That's a great point. I mean, the Big Ten is beating the absolute crap out of each other, so you're seeing teams yeah. like Northwestern and Ohio State dropping out while Duke has only played five games. Yeah. Uh, you know, going back to Duke, A. Scott, I know we were, you were wanting to talk about how Duke is all over the place. I mean, they, they, got- snuck, out, they snuck out a game against B.C., um, your overall thoughts on what happened in that game? I'm, I'm sure you were following it closely as an ACC team. You know, is Duke a potential bubble team after what you saw from them against BC? Yeah, Duke's definitely a sketch. I don't trust them. Uh, they have counting on a lot of young guys. Matthew Hurt, I guess, is is he is he he's not a freshman, correct, Poppy? He's, he's a sophomore. Yeah, so I guess he's the one experienced guy who you're hoping to get a lot of scoring. He is providing that. But then outside of that, counting guys like DJ Stewart, uh, Wendell Moore, Jalen Jalen Jackson. Johnson, I think. Jalen Johnson, but he's hurt right now. That's the big issue. Exactly. Duke, they're all over the place. They won by one against Boston College. Boston College had a chance to tie it, but of course, in Boston College fashion, they just threw it away with 11 seconds left. Um, But Duke, they're hanging on by the skin of their teeth right now, and they haven't even gotten to the meat of conference play. They're 2-0 in conference play with wins against Boston College and Notre Dame. I mean, I'm not scared of Duke. I think they're in. They have enough talent. Obviously, Jalen Johnson comes back. And they definitely have enough talent, so we'll get in. And, of course, it's Duke. How is the NCAA tournament not going to let Duke in the tournament? But they don't scare me. Pop, just, your overall feelings about the ACC bias and Duke sneaking a BC win? I believe you – did Cuse beat BC? I believe they did, right? Cuse dismantled BC by, like, 40, yeah. But, so is Cuse basketball better than Duke basketball this oh, year? Clearly, clearly. By the transitive property, I'm expecting, you know, maybe, maybe another 40-point win against Duke. But – no, I mean, Duke will be all right. But that being said, they just – their guards are bad. There's no other way around it. And it's hard to win in college basketball when you don't have good guard depth uh, that can score. Yeah. 
look at Syracuse. They, right. they don't have good guards. So Jordan Goldwires, he's been there for four years. I believe he's a senior. He's a fine player, but he's more of a defensive guy. And he can't score. He, he doesn't help the team that much. Jeremy Roach is who you're probably going to see end up playing more. I think he's a, he's a true freshman, and he can score the basketball. But until Coach K makes the change there, kind of a similar situation to uh, Syracuse, honestly, with Buddy Beheim and Kadari Richmond, maybe a more talented player behind their point, point guard. It's kind of limiting their team. But the ACC totally. bias is ridiculous. I don't even want to get into that. The ACC bias is a little bit ridiculous. Still yeah. screwing over the Cuse Orange. But a couple more quick hitters from the ACC before uh, we go to our first break. You know, Louisville currently number one in the ACC right now, starting off 3-0 and after beating number 19 Virginia Tech 73-71. to But really, Clemson at 9-1 and currently, I believe they're the, t- the highest-ranked ACC team currently right now, uh, after beating NC State in overtime, you know, Nick Honor, 5'10 point guard, averaging 13 a game. Uh, at 9-1, and one, do you believe Louisville could keep atop that number one seed of the ACC? Or do you think a team like Clemson, that's 9-1 and one right now, is really the best team in the ACC? Uh, Pop, what do you think about the two, uh, the Cardinals versus the Tiger? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this Clemson team, it's got experience. Brad Brownell has been there for a while, getting his system in place. And the ACC to me is just down. I do like Carlick Jones a lot. I think Louisville probably has the best set of guards with Carlick Jones and David Johnson in the ACC. So that being said, I think I'll take them to maybe win the conference or make a serious push at it. Um, But when Jones and Johnson are healthy out there in the backcourt, they're going to be tough to beat for a lot of teams. And they'll be getting their center, uh, Malik Cunningham, back at some point. So they're only going to go up. Yeah, Scott, Louisville, Louisville, Clemson, what are you thinking? I think that these two teams might be the best team. I like Virginia Tech as well. I think they could sneak up there. And I like Florida State a lot as well. Florida State suffered some losses actually to this Clemson team. So there are some other teams that I like. But between Louisville and Clemson, I'm going to take Clemson. Um, I love their defense. You talked about the system in Clemson. They haven't allowed a team to score more than 70 points on them all season. They have a solidified big man, Amir Sims, down low. They need to give him the ball more. He struggled in their last game uh, against Virginia Tech actually last night. So – they need to give the ball – or not against Virginia Tech, excuse me, um, NC State last night in overtime. So they need to give the ball to the big man more. But, yeah, Nick Honor, uh, he's transfer, point guard, 21 points, averaging, getting hot lately. He's a shorter guard, but maybe he could carry them uh, past Louisville and get an ACC regular season crown. So from the ACC, which is obviously a struggling conference, to say the least, over to the Big Ten, which we have talked about a lot on this podcast, and they continue just to churn out Ws. Michigan, 10-0. and We haven't talked about them yet, and they might be the best team in this conference. They're the only undefeated team in the Big Ten with a huge win over Northwestern and another big one against Minnesota, both by a combined 21 points. And now they have number eight, Wisconsin, coming up. Are they the best team in this Big Ten, even though we haven't even talked about them yet, Poppy? I think Michigan is a very good team. I'm not ready to anoint them the best team in the Big Ten just yet. You know, the one thing about Michigan, we just talked about it in the ACC, they don't have the great guard depth that's needed in some of these conferences. We kind of mentioned that with Iowa last week on the podcast. That's just so important to me in college basketball. You need good guards. Uh, That being said, Michigan does have a lot of other pieces, though. They got great big men. Uh, Mo Wagner's little brother's on the squad. Juwan Howard is becoming a great recruiter and a pretty good college basketball coach. Um, You know, some people had some questions when he came in and took over for Beeline, but Michigan's going to make some noise in the Big Ten this year. 
But it's such a deep conference. Who knows at this point? It's going to be neck and neck all throughout the season. Yeah, they have the lead right now, but we've talked a lot about Iowa and Sluckers. I know, Lucas, you love your Sluckers. Who you got in the I Big Ten? No, I do. It's a matter of, like, we were saying this earlier, all of these teams are just beating the absolute crap out of each other. It's, you know, we were really high on Rutgers. I was high on Michigan State. I love me some Rocket Watts. They have slipped. They're now two and three in Big Ten play. Um, I think we could see close to seven to nine teams make the tournament from this Big Ten. And I think at the leader of the pack are the two teams atop of it, and that's Michigan and Illinois. Illinois has too much talent, too much uh, – too much freshman star power for them to to slack off this badly. I mean, I mean, they are four and one in the conference, and then obviously the Big Ten has the best player in the country, Luka Garza. So I think those are the three-headed monster that I would probably put my money on the most. Me and Pop love betting against Wisconsin. They prove us wrong every single yeah. time. We just love betting against them. But I think Iowa has the best player, and then Michigan maybe has the best all-around team, and then Illinois has the most talent. Uh, and I think those are the three that you're really going to look for. If I were to put, if I were a gambling man, I ha- think I would put my money on Iowa because Luka Garza is a walking 30 and 15. I think you broke those teams down very well. I like yeah. those descriptions, honestly. That's um, why they pay me the big bucks at the challenge. <laughs> Michigan, though, what they lack in the guard depth, Poppy, they make up for with the big men. And that's going to be big, especially against teams like Illinois with, with the Coke burn and uh, Garza on Iowa they have freshman seven foot one Hunter Dickinson and that's why he's our player of the week this week uh, can he keep up when can he at least slow down the other big men in the Big Ten last night he definitely did we talked about Lee and Rob Liam Robbins uh, Minnesota's big man last week or last week on the show and yesterday Hunter Dickinson totally dominated that matchup scored 28 and had eight rebounds while Robbins uh, was under 10 points I know and had like five boards so Dickinson clearly got the best of that, but he's a very talented player, has yet to attempt a three on the season. Where do you hear that nowadays in college basketball? But at <laughs> seven foot one, break. yeah, he's seven foot one, but the game is moving that way, you know. Uh, he's averaging 18 a game, eight rebounds, while shooting 73% from the field. So efficiency, efficiency uh, is through the roof right there. Um, and he's a player that, you know, Jawan Howard was able to reel in another big fish, a big-time recruit. And he's helping the, the uh, Wolverines out a ton this year. They look great with him at center. Yeah, Hunter Dickinson, 28 points against Minnesota, 80% from the field last week, 26 points against Maryland, 90% from the field. Uh, the kid's definitely dominant, and the fact that he's a freshman is pretty scary. Uh, Next-level talent? I mean, if I made three out of every four shots I took, I'd probably be in the NBA too. I think if I wasn't seven one, if I was only six feet and and I was seven one, then for sure, uh, I think he's a little frail. So I think that's what the biggest thing he needs to work on is just building out that body a little bit more. I mean, we've seen like the likes of like a a Mo Bamba, who's just a really lanky guy, just crumble in the NBA. So far, you know, there's still some opportunity yeah. for him, but. Uh, that's something that I'm going to look forward to see if he can actually stretch the floor a little bit and be a little bit more of a threat. Um, maybe, maybe getting a little bit of Alex Len vibes with him a little bit too, but he at least was able to make a jumper here and there. But again, it's there. Juwan Howard obviously is building up these players for a high profile. They brought him in for a reason. Uh, the pedigree that he had as an assistant with the Miami heat now going down to uh, up, up, to, up uh, to Michigan has been super beneficial for a player like Kemp. Definitely. And moving over to some other games in the Big Ten coming up this weekend, 
obviously we talked a lot about Rutgers and they have another big matchup. Feels like every week they have a big game. That's just how the Big Ten is. And it's actually actually a rematch against Ohio State uh, earlier in the year. Ohio State came back against Rutgers. I think they went on a 20 to one run to close out the game, get the win. This time it's on Rutgers' home court. They get a little revenge, Lucas. Yeah, the sluts always get revenge at the end of the day. It's just how it goes. Sluckers by a million. I'm still all in on Sluckers myself. I think that, you know, they're definitely one of the better teams in the conference, and they'll show that this weekend against Ohio State after they've lost a few. Yeah, I think they're ready for revenge. Uh, the 20-1 to 1 run, that won't happen. They've got to stay out of foul trouble. I like Rutgers. I, I just don't like Ohio State, honestly. I think they're always overranked, at least recently coming into seasons. I wish we had some lines to give you guys on these, but no lines. These games are on Saturday, and college basketball, they slack on the lines. So, <laughs> no lines. Just taking some pick them. Second game, though, Big 12, Texas at West Virginia. Number four, Texas, some great guard play. Going up against a bigger team with some big guys down low in number 14, West Virginia. Poppy. Give me Texas in this one. I know that's the chalky pick, but they are in Huggy Bears, Huggy Bears Town, Morgantown, West Virginia. That being said, though, Oscar Shebway announced he's transferring out of the program after taking a leave for West Virginia, their starting center, who was having a great season. That's just a huge loss for a team in the middle of the year, and I think that's going to be too much to overcome. Texas with their guard depth. Yeah, definitely did not realize that he, he's left the program. Yeah, he went on a leave of absence, and then two days ago he announced he's transferring in the transfer portal. So That might actually change my pick. I was going to take, yeah. take West Virginia because they're at home. Texas, I watched them against Kansas, seemed just like a hot shooting night. I like Texas, but I dislike road teams in big games. So I would have taken West Virginia, but now, now you got me scratching my head. <laughs> One thing that West Virginia is able to do all the time is muck up these games, make them yeah. super ugly. And Shaka Smart as well, that Chia Bad hook, looking guy likes to mess it up too I think if you're looking at this game I think you definitely shoot the under uh in this game because I think it's going to be a defensive battle I think a team that got so hot in a Texas team um against Kansas at Fog Allen Fieldhouse that was uh, a rarity in that case so if I'm gonna if I'm a betting man I think I'm gonna go with Texas as well as pop which means if we're all on Rutgers and we're all on Texas then obviously hedge us but I also would look for the under in this game um, because I think it's going to be kind of a battle and it's going to be a more defensive battle because those are traditionally two coaches that like to just make it ugly. And then Michigan, they were kind of our team of the week. We profiled, had their player of the week in Hunter Dickinson. They will be taking on Wisconsin at home, their first real big test of the season, a top 10 matchup. This game won't be played until Tuesday. We won't have another podcast until Friday, so we're going to preview it now. Uh, Michigan, can they keep it rolling? They're at home. Why not? I'm going to take Michigan. I uh, honestly haven't really watched them play yet, and I will be all eyes on Tuesday on this Michigan Wolverine squad. It's Wisconsin. I, I, me now betting on Wisconsin is not me. It just doesn't scream <laughs> me. I can't do it because the one time that I'm going to bet on Wisconsin, Michigan's going to win. I have yeah. to keep the narrative of going against Wisco. So I have to roll with the Wolverines here. Also, I just think maybe they're the better team. You know, I, I like Wisconsin in this game. I'm not going to bet against them anymore. I've learned my lesson, I think. They're a deep team with a lot of seniors, a lot of experience. And, you know, Michigan's got some experience too, but I think that, you know, that speaks for them on the road. They know how to win on the road. They beat Michigan State a couple weeks ago. And, you know, 
I just think that Hunter Dickinson, while he's a great player, I don't know if this Michigan team has really beaten anybody that great. Is Minnesota good? Is Northwestern good? Northwestern screwed up the whole Big Ten when they started off the year 3-0. and Everybody's expecting them to go under 500. They start off 3-0, and but now they've lost two in a row. This conference is just crazy. Teams beating up on each other, like you said, Lucas. So who really knows? But I don't know if Michigan is that good yet. Yeah, this is definitely the show-me-something game. Obviously, yeah. Minnesota and Northwestern off to good starts, but we know Wisconsin is a powerhouse year in and year out. Uh, so I'm excited for Tuesday. It's going to be a good week of games. And now we're going to move over, bring in one of our, I would say, colleagues on the Challenge Sports, Godfrey Lucas. He's chilling in the chat, and he is our soccer writer on the Challenge Sports. If you haven't learned yet, Kelly DeCuse has moved over to the challenge-sports.com bunch of articles over there merchandise of all different topics and one of our newest writers is godfrey we know him from ithaca let's bring him in godfrey how you doing um doing wonderful boys stupendous um happy to be here you know um it's been a dream since college so now um we make it a reality <laughs> <laughs> a long time a long time yeah. and of kelly the is finally getting on the podcast um this week though you're busy on the keyboard manchester united for those in the premier league they're making a climb. Where did this come from? I heard earlier in the year from a bunch of my soccer friends that bet against Man U, they're terrible. And here they come, climbing up the leaderboard. Yes, um, it was ugly, guys. Um, I, I really think um, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, of course, coming in now, he's been on the hot seat literally, honestly, since he's came in. A lot of people weren't really high on his, high on his hiring, you know, making sure of him coming, um, him coming in to replace to replace Jose Mourinho, of course. A lot of people were looking other ways. Um, uh, Allegri from Uve, Uve had gotten sacked recently. They were looking that way, but Ole Gunner came in. So he was kind of on the hot seat from day one. We know Man United, you know, prestige, class, one of the top teams in Europe, right? So I really think going throughout the season, starting off, it was really, really ugly. They had dropped a lot of points. They were as far as 14th, um, 14th in the Premier League table. That's not even top half of the table, guys. So definitely some scary hours there, as we'd say, right? But um, I would say the straw that really broke the camel's back, and honestly, I thought Ole might have been sacked after this, was their defeat to Leipzig in the Champions League. They really just got outplayed for a full 90 minutes, just got worked over by Leipzig. They weren't defending, they weren't defending set pieces well. It looked really lackadaisical at the back end. A lot of the players knew, you know, Bruno Fernandes came out, Harry Maguire came out and said, you know, we're better than this. You know, Ole gave a weird, a weird speech kind of talking about how, you know, sometimes you got to feel bad for yourself. But I, on, in the Premier League and, and winning trophies, especially during a time of this year with COVID and everything going on throughout Europe, like you really want to be able to establish yourself and make yourself a top team. So I really think the team took it hard. You know, Ole kind of rallied his troops, the, the players knew that they were better than that. And they were able to make this climb and this run to where now they're really sitting in a nice position to where, to be honest, I'm not going to say it out too loud. I almost want to whisper it. They could win the Premier League. Oh, they, snap. They, they really could. Um, they, so that's, that's actually kind of interesting. So peeling back a layer, what are, so where, what are the top teams currently right now? Where is Man U stacking against them right now? And, you know, what's, what's up ahead for them? They just uh, had the Manchester Derby, didn't they? Um, they had the Derby. That was, that was uh, the League Cup. They were in the Carabao Cup. They they lost they lost that two nil to Man City. Um, so a lot of the teams you're going to hear within the top five, you're going to hear Man City. So Man City actually are the favorites right now, even though they're sitting in fifth. They have a game in hand. Um, to take it back to United, United are actually level with Liverpool right now with with uh with a game in hand. So believe it or not, only thing that was separating them was goal differential. 
Um, and Liverpool actually just lost their last game. So doors are really open right now. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on, you know. I mean, definitely keep an eye out. Um, also look in the January transfer window. Um, big things going on for United. Honestly, they need to sign their center back. Like, it is yes. an absolute must. If they want to lift anywhere this season, they need a center back because they struggle to play out of the back and they struggle with set pieces fighting. Their defense has been bad for, sure. for as long as I can remember, really. This must be really painful for you, though, Godfrey. As a City fan, we're writing about United and their their status, how they're on the, the come up here. Yes, it's painful, but I think it's interesting. I think it kind of adds a little bit of a spark to the season, you know, with COVID and everything yeah. going on and just being able to see a wide variety of teams in the mix, you know. So just being being that the Premier League title is up in the air this season, you know, there's a couple teams, there's a couple teams in the mix, Man City, United, uh, Spurs, Liverpool, just to name a few, you know. There's a, there's a lot of teams up in Say that again? Oh, no Palace. No, 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 no Palace. It's not looking too hot for Palace right now. Because the one thing I I can definitely correlate between definitely the EPL and maybe even a a league like the NBA is a team like Man U and Man City, when they're down, the sport is down. Similarly, uh, when in basketball, when the Lakers are down or even recently the Warriors and now Brooklyn, you want diversity. You You want things up in the air. You want good teams to perform as good as they can. I mean, we can talk about the Knicks being five and, th- five and three another time, but <laughs> when, when teams, when big market teams are at the top of, you know, their standings, that really brings the popularity of the sport up to a new level. So I think Man U, you know, this arc of, you know, Man U being so low to now skyrocketing up in the standings, I think is probably great for the, for the EPL. Yes, definitely a bonus. And I would, I would even go on the other side saying sometimes you want to see some of those big teams down as well, too. You want to see them struggle. You want to see them grind. I mean, I mean, it's a test of character. I mean, easily you could say Man United. I mean, it's no secret. They're the most decorated team in England. Yeah. With Sir Alex Ferguson at the helm, they were winning trophies left and right. I, I can't even tell you the last I can't even tell you the last time when Fergie was there they didn't win trophies. I don't think we were alive when <laughs> Fergie when Fergie took over and they won trophies when they and they didn't win trophies. So I mean, you know, I think it's also a show of uh times changing, you know. There's a lot of financial backing that goes into a lot of these teams now, you know, new ownership. So for a team like Man City, when they got new ownership, financial backing came into where they were able to sign more players, quality class players that kind of bought them up. They were in the sixth tier of English football at a certain point in time. So being able to watch them grind and come to the tiers of football to where they are now is definitely important. Now, as a casual soccer fan, one last question here. Um, You know, I want to know what happened to Paul Pogba? Why is why is Paul Pogba only scored one goal this year? He's United's most named player, I'd say, right? Uh, you know, I see Harry Maguire, who's a great defender for them. My other thing is Luke Shaw. When is this guy going to get off their team? He's been there forever. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> to start off, Pop, I would say there um, with Paul Pogba, um, that that's just been a, a whirlwind, you know. I just yeah. think when, when they bought Paul Pogba, and there wasn't really a lot of quality on that team, you know. Um, when you bring Paul Pogba over, Paul Pogba came over from a, uh, an Italian side in Juventus that literally was playing for the treble that, that, uh, that season prior. So, you know, coming over and being able to have the opportunity to play for United, because this is his second stint. He was a youth there. They got rid of him earlier on, and now he became a world beater over in Italy, right? Comes back, and there just wasn't as much class on this United team. And I I think sometimes when you have a star player like that and he realizes that the team isn't up to par of what he had or before, things start to slow down a little bit, you know? I mean, he could, he could, of course, he can score. We him hit bangers before and assist other individuals, but you can only do so much as an individual. 
mm-hmm. I think you can't really piggyback your team. So if you were to give one, if you were to give one little tease into the reason why they should read the article and the challenge, what would you leave the, the listeners with on why uh, the article that you wrote, you know, is, is, uh, is intriguing to a casual uh, soccer or even sports fan. It's going to give you a little bit of insight on how their season's been so far, you know, the trials and tribulations and, and where they're going in the direction and also the prestige of United. Like I said, they're, they're one, of the most, one of the most decorated teams, if not the most decorated team in England. So kind of being able to know that, back, that background, that backstory a little bit, and also being able to see the insight and maybe a little key tidbit on who they should sign centre-back-wise going forward that would really fill their needs and wants of being able to play out of the back and being able to defend against set pieces and hopefully being able to lift the Premier League trophy with that signing as well too. Now so you can check that article out on the challenge-sports.com. Bunch of articles Godfrey is the lone soccer writer right now. We also do need writers so if you are listening to this look at the challenge and apply easy money to get on the challenge if you want to write some sports we want to hear your voices. Your voices are the most important in the room, again, the challenge-sports.com, bunch of articles and merchandise. But, Godfrey, you ready to make some football picks? Of course. Born ready. Football picks. From, from the English League to the American League. Some football. <laughs> We're in the playoffs week 18, first week of the playoffs. And our picks haven't been so great, so hopefully you can bring us some luck, Godfrey, on the podcast. Um, any locks for us? We'll start off with you. Any locks for the first week of playoffs? Locks, first week of playoffs? I think we're going to go a um, a lock, I'd say AFC side. Uh, you got to look at Bills Mafia over here. Josh Allen is slinging it. Stephon Diggs is catching it. That defense is fierce. I think that they're going to give. I think that they're kind of a dark horse in the AFC. You know, I think they're going to give Indianapolis a handful this weekend. So I would definitely say that's a lock. Pop, you like the over in that game? A lot of points. I do like the over in this game. I think you know the Bills have scored a ton of points to end this season. They ended with 56 against the Dolphins with Matt Barkley at quarterback in the second half, which is pretty impressive. The Colts defense, while it's pretty solid, they do give up points. You know, they kind of benefit from that turnover luck, which some teams do. And I think that Phil Rivers is, you know, he's a veteran, man. I love me some Phil Rivers. Like the charger in you. Like the charger in you. And for the record, I did check the Orchard Park weather. So nobody is – Nobody needs to concern themselves with that. We got like 34 degrees and partly sunny at one o'clock kickoff. I was that just say, screams Buffalo. That yeah. just screams Buffalo. At least Chilly. no precipitation, though. I was going to say, are we worried about the Colts' defense? They've had a solid defense, both Poppy and Godfrey, going against the defense in this game, especially the Colts. Any worries on the defensive side? I, I just don't think they're that great up front, especially against the run. I mean, I think the Bills offense is also elite. There's really, you know, it's the Bills and the Chiefs in terms of the best offense this year, probably in the NFL. I think when One you thing, look at that, oh, my fault, Lucas. No, I was just going to ask you, actually, Godfrey. I know that, you know, funny enough, the third leading r- rushing uh, running back in the league was Jonathan Taylor. And I think I've seen some teams, Bill's Mafia has recently been on a lot of more primetime TV that people have seen them. Teams can run the ball on them a little bit. And with the, the Hines-Taylor backfield, do you think that could raise uh, some problems and it could be kind of like a grind-it-out type of game? Uh, I'm not too worried about the grind-it-out. I think that um, Bill's defense is going to force a couple takeaways, create a little bit of short field for Josh Allen. He's just going to go to work. I think one thing that you see with the Colts sometimes – they like to sit in the zone a little bit, and Josh 
Josh Allen takes out the fork and the knife, he eats zones up. It's really hard to watch him go through his progressions in his zone and give him time. I think he's going to be taking his shots downfield, and he's just going to lead the Bills to victory, hands down. We'll be hungry for those touchdowns. And uh, that game, that's a Saturday game, right? Saturday one. It's a Saturday yeah, game. Third. Another game I like, and I know Poppy looks to be on them as well, judging by the rundown here, the Tennessee Titans home underdogs. Uh, this just smells like money to me, Poppy. Smells like money. Smells like Derrick Henry running the ball a lot. But it also, to me, the Titans, we, everybody knows it. Their secondary sucks. There's no two ways around it. It's terrible. <laughs> it has a lot of talent, a lot of first-round picks in it, but it's just been awful this year. They're, they're winning in shootouts a lot of the times. But Lamar Jackson, can he beat you with the throw? I think if Tennessee really is able to stop the run, you know, I think that they, they should at least keep it close. I like the fact that you got that half point that allows them to lose by a field goal and you still hit the bat. Yeah, I like it a lot. I think running the ball becomes more of a factor, but later in the season it goes. Uh, Derrick Henry, we just saw him put up, what, 250 yards last week. Expect that, to, expect that to keep going. And, Lucas, you also have a bat in this game, Baltimore-Tennessee, but you're taking the under. I am taking the under. We all know the story. Last year, Ravens 14-2 and two were home against the Titans when the Titans had their magical run, embarrassed Lamar Jackson in front of the entire nation. I think this time, as home underdogs, I do like that pick. Underdogs at home, why wouldn't you want to do that? One thing that we can all agree on, both of these teams love to run the ball, whether it's Lamar Jackson or whether it's uh, J.K. Dobbins on their team. And then on the other side, you obviously have the Beast and Derrick Henry. I could see this being a big, heavy run game type of, type of game where I can already predict the score. This feels like a 26-20 to 20 game, one or the other. And if I check the, the math and carry the one, that's under 54 and a half, I'm pretty sure. So I'm going to go with the under in this game. I just think a lot of clogged windows down will all of a sudden take a blink of an eye. It'll be the two-minute warning in the second quarter, and it's 3 nothing, 7-3. And at 54 and a half points, it's a lot of points. Uh, don't get me wrong. They can all sling it. Ryan Tannehill has proven why he's the, lead, he's the quarterback of the team. Lamar Jackson, we obviously know what he brings to the table. But give me the under 54 and a half. That's a lot of points in a playoff game. This is playoff football now. This is big boy football now. And these two teams are big boy between the tackles type of team. So I just yeah. think a little bit of too much clock is going to dwindle down. Uh, I'll take the under in that one. Um, Pop, your last game that you had, uh, you love Tom Brady on the road against the Washington football team uh, at minus eight. A bit, probably one of the biggest uh, – away uh, favorites that we've ever seen in the playoffs. It's a lot of points, no doubt about it. An eight-point favorite on the road is pretty unheard of in the NFL playoffs. Uh, but, you know, the, my issue here is Alex Smith. I like him a lot as a quarterback. I really do. But I just don't believe he's healthy. He didn't look good against the Eagles. Their offense wasn't playing well. Frankly, I thought the Eagles were going to win the game if Jalen Hurts stayed in. And I just don't think that the offense of the football team is going to put up a whole lot of points. And I think, you know, Tom Brady will do enough. That football team's defense, it's good. Washington's defense is good. But I think, you know, ultimately the Buccaneers have a lot of firepower. They'll put up a good amount of points and win the game by two scores. You yeah. mentioned the firepower. You know, obviously I think they're going to be without Mike Evans this week. Doesn't matter. They got Scotty Miller. They got A.B. They got Godwin. They even Gronk. got this running back who's decent. He's called Leonard Fournette, and then Rojo Red, as they call him, uh, Ronald Jones. Uh, so hopefully he's back in time for that. Um, my last pick, 
I'm going to have to go with it. I, I Mitchie two bags, baby. I, I can't believe I'm going to do it. But it's more of like on the other side of the ball. We obviously know the running back situation over there. They should all be ready to go for Sunday. But as we've seen with these players coming back from COVID or coming off the IR COVID list, they don't come back 100% or they don't come back to their full capacity. A 10-point double-digit underdog is a lot to ask for. Uh, I know I'm putting my faith in Mitch Trubisky, um, but I think that we all know what the Bears bring to the table. They have a great defense, a gritty defense, and their special teams is top-notch, probably up there with the Ravens. So they got two-thirds of an advantage. Don't get me wrong, the Saints defense is great and all, and their offense obviously is unbelievable when they get Kamara and everybody. I just think that with the running back situation up in the air, with Khalil Mack, the likes of Khalil Mack putting pressure on a Drew Brees that's only been back for a couple of weeks, 10 points is a lot for them to cover by. And I think, you know, Mitch Trubisky has to get it for me. Uh, so I think it's, I think they're going to keep it close. I mean, even if they lose by seven, I mean, sure. But I think the, the Bears plus 10 uh, is another one of my picks. And Trubisky doesn't look too, too bad. And uh, New, Orleans, New Orleans has a reputation of uh, kind of blowing it in the playoffs. So I don't, sure do. I don't hate that pick at all. Um, I will say, though, the Bears offense, can they get, can they get even five points? we're gonna have to wait and see we're gonna have to wait and see it's gonna be close one week they look good the next week they look terrible but i have to say no yeah (laughs) Uh, the divisional round is gonna be a good one first week of the playoffs we had a bunch of games this year usually we have two buys only one buy this week so a bunch of games on in the first round i would maybe say fade our picks with all that said with all those great points we just made uh, our picks are not doing too hot this year to say the least lucas does have a winning record though Nine and eight. Watch out. Maybe maybe take those Bears plus ten if you really like Trubisky. We're but on our, a heater, boys. Our game of the week this week. What what could it be? It's got to be the NCAA championship game. Alabama versus Ohio State. Bama favored by eight in this one. The over under seventy five. Looks like a Big Twelve game between Texas and Oklahoma. Instead, it's the national championship game. In this one, I got to roll tide. I got to roll tide. I'm not sure how Ohio State is here. I thought they shouldn't have been in the college football playoff. I think Clemson's defense just fell apart. Uh, We'll see if they can do it against Alabama. Alabama's putting up 40, maybe even 50, but 40 without a doubt. I'd have to agree with you there. Um, Bama by double digits all day. No offense to Ohio State. They just don't – they're not going to have an answer on defense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Run game, super strong. Uh, Mac Jones can close his eyes and throw the football at this point. Um, I I just can't see Ohio State's defense withstanding that, and I can see Bama's defense pinning their ears back on on Mr. Fields here and kind of giving him a, giving him a rough day. Considering that one side of the field is completely closed off with Patrick Sertan on that side, that's that's an island. We're not throwing that way. So roll tide, Bama for sure. Lucas, I think. I think I'm going to have to go Ohio State in this one. I think Bama does win the natty, but I think eight points is actually kind of crazy for a, for a team that surprised everybody. I think everybody thought that Clemson was going to be that team and it was going to be Alabama-Clemson. Ohio State showed up. Um, I want to root for the over as well. 75 points is just fun. It's more of a fun pick. But I'm going to go Ohio State plus eight. I think Justin Fields has proven why. He's going to be probably the number two overall pick to go to your J-E-T-S Jets. And I think, I think if I'm a smart man, I'm going to go under because 75 is just so many points. I mean, again, the offenses are explosive. I think people underestimate Ohio State's defense a little bit. 
Uh, you mentioned, Godfrey, already that you can't throw to half of the field to begin with because of how good Alabama's cornerbacks are. Um, I'm going to go with my official pick as Ohio State plus eight and then the under 75. Bobby, college football specialist. I mean, I'm a college football guy. I can't guarantee any wins, but, you know, <laughs> give me Bama. Uh, hopefully this game is played on Monday night. You know, there's some COVID concerns with Ohio State once again. Uh, you got Nick Saban's daughter tweeting out that they're cowards. They're scared because they want to get Justin Fields healthy. You got to love the college football drama. Uh, but Alabama, you know, they're just a wagon. I don't see how they're losing this game. If that game does get canceled, that basically ensures that Jalen Waddell is going to be healthy. He already might play as is. The last thing that Alabama needed is another first-round wide receiver on this field. That is just going to make Ryan Day's head explode. There's no way that they don't win this game by more than 10 points. There's no way. I mean, you mentioned it, Godfrey, the defense with Sertan. It's not a typical Alabama defense like we used to see in the early part of the 2010s, the decade then. You know, they were always churning out great players and great defenses. But they rely on their offense now more. Saban adapted. He got the athletes. And – they just blow teams out. And real quick, before we uh, move on to our one last thing, the Heisman Trophy was announced recently, and Devonta Smith, first time since the early 90s, Desmond Howard, first wide receiver since him to win the reward. He was a huge underdog all year, boys. We missed an opportunity with this. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't even on the original, like, odds until Jalen Waddle got hurt. And then even when Jalen Waddle got hurt, Devonta Smith was put a 60-1 to 1 originally to win the Heisman. So if you threw a flyer – he threw 10 bucks at Jalen uh, Devontae Smith when Jalen Waddle got hurt. You made a quick 600. Yeah, and, and Godfrey, I got to ask, Eagles fan, another wide receiver, Devonta Smith, first round, make it two years in a row? Better be. Oh, Better you want be. uh, Absolutely. Like a fat kid, I'll, like a fat kid loves Kate. Got to have him. <laughs> got to have him. The Rager over Jefferson must be killing you, though. Uh, yeah, I could be hitting the gritty right now, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I could definitely be having a good time, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. We're here at number six. I'm expecting nothing less than a wide out or, you know, I'd be happy with Patrick Sutan as well, too. Definitely. Definitely going to be an interesting final. I can't wait for it. That is Monday night, hopefully, unless it does get postponed for COVID. Only a few minutes left here on Kelly to Cuse. Let's get to our one last thing this week i'm up poppy lucas have given you the one last thing last couple weeks this week we're turning to the baseball diamond the new york mets stevie cohen it feels like we're a big market team it feels like the new york mets are actually making moves and we want to win some baseball on thursday they traded a couple short stops a really good prospect in andre Semenes and amend rosario who's been the cornerstone at shortstop for the mets for the last few years they trade those pieces away for Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco. Lindor, obviously an all-star. Carrasco was at the top of his game, and he had a great season again last year, but he is 34 years old. We'll see if the Mets can get some production out of him. But getting Francisco Lindor, it's exciting as a Mets fan, but I'm nervous we gave up a lot. We've seen the Mets give up a lot of prospects in the past. Justin Turner haunts me to this day as being a three-hitter in the World Series year after year. It seems like I just hope Jimenez doesn't turn into that for the Indians or whoever he lands on in his career. Uh, but this is a disaster of a trade if we don't re-sign Lindor. It comes down to that. We better have the money, which I think we do. Steve Cohen has a plan. He's got all the money in the world. So I'm not too worried about it. But if we let Lindor walk after one year, this is a terrible move. Uncle Stevie bringing out the wallet. Uh, you know, they are trying to make these big moves. You know, the Mets, you know, are always going to be the little brother to the Yankees, unfortunately, unless they start bringing some penance. I think this is the first direction. 
I kind of like the pitcher at, um, uh, um, pickup as well. I think picking up a Carrasco just to fill out the rotation is needed for a DeGrom who's just been an absolute ace for them. I think this could be a similar situation with the Dodgers and Mookie Betts. They traded him over the summer. They traded for him over the summer. And then by the time it was, uh, you know, midseason, you know, it was it was wrapped and the Dodgers had him forever. Should, should I see what ring size I am now? Should I get that fit? Chill with Mookie Betts right there. That's not that's not called for. I'm just saying about that trade. Hey, uh-uh. we got to bring it up. The Dodgers fan on the line, too. Yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Finally. Finally, finally. Got to see, got to see a pennant. It's nice to hey. see. But speaking of pennant race, uh, Mets 13-1, I'm pretty sure is what I saw for okay. Vegas after this little move. I feel like it's like worthy of sending $10, maybe a $20 bet. The Mets have the pitching, the starting pitching at least. Noah Syndergaard, DeGrom, now Carrasco. Um, just give us time. Hopefully the, the bats can be there. Pete Alonso had a down year. I think if Pete Alonso returns to rookie of the year form, we got a real shot. Because that gives us a real meat of the order lineup right there. Mm-hmm. I like I the catcher addition. Catcher finally fill a bad spot as well. Bring it over McCann from the White Sox. I mean, we're definitely putting pieces together. I, I just hope that for once we can stay healthy when we have a good team. We don't collapse in September. Every year we finally put the pieces together. Something goes wrong. I'm just – can't wait to see what it is this year because it's going to be something. Life of a Mets fan. But that about does it for us on Kelly to Q's. Thank you for joining us. New episodes every Wednesday or every Friday. What am I saying? Every Friday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the challenge-sports.com. Make sure you head over there. Check out Godfrey's article. Check out all the other articles we have on there and some podcasts as well. Thank you for sticking around with us. And good luck to my Mets this year. But more importantly, good luck to Syracuse with some big college basketball games this week. Peace.